What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 141 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's actually a lot earlier than normal on this fine Sunday. Um, you know, life gets in the way. I have something later on today. Uh, my guest today is busy, and it's one of all those things where I know it's not the season right now, but stuff still happens. But we found we found time, and joining me as uh, often is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we kind of found a way to make this work today. Uh, <laughs> we, we have some stuff to talk about. It's, it's a pretty exciting start to the offseason, to be sure. Yeah, we we do, and it's a little bit <clears throat> it's a little bit newsy today. I will say uh, we did, we decided because of our time constraints that we're not going to do the uh, full blown lineup review. Uh, there is one more to do. That's the last one we'll have to do, and at some point in the next couple of weeks, we'll definitely do that. But we'll talk about a lot of guys that are position players today. So it's almost like it's going to be that. But um, just for, so everybody knows, so we don't, and basically, so Eric and I don't go for an hour and a half because we don't have to. We don't we don't we don't actually have an hour and a half to do this podcast today. So. With that said, uh, let's get into what happened. I mean, it wasn't it's kind of funny. I, I say news. There isn't anything that's like crazy, but at the same time, there was stuff that's happening. You know, the GM meetings have now come and gone. Um, there are a couple of interesting quotes from Anthopolis coming out of that. No actual moves. Very few things around the league, but the hot stove is like somewhat lit, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because when we had the winter meeting, not the winter meetings, the GM meetings this week. You know, it's. Anthopolis is really good about seemingly playing things close to the vest, and like I, you almost have to take like half the things he says with a grain of salt, and you have to kind of pick your poison because it's it's difficult to kind of suss out exactly what the Braves are planning to do because ultimately they have enough payroll space and enough prospect capital that they can kind of do what they want. Um, and but once they pick a path, they're going to have to kind of go down that path quickly. Because other teams are going to be like, okay, well, now we know that the Raiders are going to be not going to be in play for these guys and are going to be in play for these guys. And you have to kind of make those choices quickly uh, once you kind of start, like, you know, if you acquire a catcher, whether that's in free agency or via trade, things like that. And, you know, it seems like right now they're focusing on trade so they can kind of figure out where they're going to spend their free agent dollars most wisely. And that's going to be an interesting choice because you have the, the JT Real Mutos out there that's, that that rumor has been floating, floating out there for a long time. Whether or not the Marlins are willing to make a deal or at least deal with the Braves on terms that the Braves are willing to deal with them on is going to be kind of the – once the Braves kind of sort that situation out is going to determine whether or not they can make a move for a guy like maybe even like a Corey Kluber or you know who was you know James Paxton who was made available more recently. And you're kind of having to figure out – the Braves are sort of having to figure out who's actually available on the trade market because I think they would prefer to do a trade first. Because that way they can kind of figure out exactly where they can spend their dollars because they could find themselves in a situation where a guy was available for trade and they would have been able to save – the money would have been better spent elsewhere and things like that. So I think what's going to end up happening is over the next couple of weeks we're going to see the Braves make a trade before we kind of see any free agent signings um, when and then that, the rest of it will kind of sort itself out from there. That, yeah, that makes sense. And I think you know what you said rings true and the fact that just – Free agency usually takes a while. That's kind of just the way this stuff works. Maybe you get one or two stray deals at the beginning, but for the most part, a lot of guys normally end up waiting for a while. And I know they're you know they're allowed to sign right now. A couple guys have signed, but they're definitely lower level players. And normally that stuff kind of waits a minute. So trades. I mean, Anthopoulos did say this week, uh, and I quote: "This is from Gay, a story from Gabe Burns of AJC." Um, Anthopoulos said that he's quote: um, "They're waiting to spend." Sorry, they're spending the bulk of our time here on on trades, and here is at the GM meetings. And he says we're not spending time on free agents. So that kind of tells you what where they are right now. Of course, I think it needs to be said. I think you mentioned this as well. I, you know, what Anthopolis says publicly does not necessarily mean that that's all that's happening. Like people, right. I think take it as gospel a lot of times when guys say publicly. Um, 
and I understand that, but um, they're under no, no obligation to tell you everything that's going on. So uh, I would definitely take everything with a grain of salt. That's not a shot at any of the reporting because the reporting are they're just telling you what um, Anthopolis is saying publicly. But I think people just like close the book on things. We're talking about one other one other thing later on in the podcast about uh, some comments that he made about the infield that had, had the same reaction. It was like, all right, book closed. I'm like, no, I wouldn't say that necessarily. Like it may be likely, and you should take it with some sort of. Um, importance of what Anthopoulos says, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have to tell everybody what he's going to do. Yeah, and I I think part of the problem with the free agent market specifically is that you have two big free agents in Manny Machado, which is an infielder, and Bryce Harper, that's an outfielder, and the teams that are looking to fill one of those two spots, or both in some cases, they're all going to be trying to figure out exactly whether or not they're, what their chances are of filling that void. So, like, a lot of these choices that the Braves would have are being impacted by kind of the availability of availability of Maybe they're not interested in Manny, Ch- Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, but a lot of those guys who are below, like kind of in tiers below, they're going to be kind of waiting to see who they need to be negotiating with. And that kind of just has the ripple effects. And until one or both of those guys sign, we might see the free agent market being a little bit slow. And I think you're absolutely right. The 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 comments about the infield, you know, kind of they they feel set in the infield. I don't I don't think they feel compelled to like you know they have to get the the best guy out there right now because that there's a big hole there. Because they, they, I think they feel reasonably comfortable. If they were to go into 2019 with the current infield, it wouldn't be, you know, it would be, they would be fine. But I mean, there's a lot of big names that have been floated out there. I mean, we just saw that, we just heard that, like Chris Bryant's being floated around right now. You know, who knows what's going on with Nolan Arenado? You know, in terms of when that he can actually sign an extension with the Rockies, and if they, and if he isn't, the, Bra- the Rockies could feasibly move him. And the Braves would be negligent to not check in on those guys because I mean, those are two MVP caliber players. Uh, and if you can get bring those in, that would be that would be interesting, depending on the price and all that stuff. So I think they're checking in on all their options. I just think that, and I think it's more likely that we're going to see a trade. But you know, in terms of like you know, what the Braves are like completely closing the book on in terms of upgrades and things like that. I don't. It, Alex Anthopoulos doesn't strike me as the guy who's not willing to at least talk to have those conversations and people who are thinking that you know they're they're not going to go after any other options other than what's been publicly stated is a little bit silly. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And you know, just just for clarity's sake, you know, on the record, Anthopoulos said, and I quote: "The one thing I can say is I feel like we're set in the infield." End quote. He talked about how Camargo was amazing this year and all that stuff. You know, that's definitely true. He was very very good this season. It's not all Camargo either. Obviously, Swanson's been a, a topic of conversation. I think we, we'd all be we'd all be pretty surprised if Albies and Freeman were not around. Um, but um, the guys on the left side. I think, you know, I take Anthopoulos at his word um, to some degree in that I think they will be okay coming back with this starting group in the infield. I also don't think that, as you mentioned, if there's another option that presents itself, part of the value of having a guy like Camargo is that he can play shortstop or he can play somewhere else and play kind of all over the place. So if it's like if a situation presents itself where a guy falls in your lap that's a third baseman, that's a star, or, or a near star, you would want to be open to that. Um, but I, I do, I do, I, I do think that Anthopoulos is probably okay bringing the, bringing the band back, so to speak, on the infield. He's been pretty candid talking about how core outfield is a spot, and that's of course the Marquecas spot. He's, he, he's now free agent and catcher. Those are the two spots that he that he keeps saying on the record are the spots where they're looking, and that makes sense because those are the obvious spots where they absolutely have to do something. Marquecas is not. I mean, for for all the discussion about him, we'll come, we'll come back to him later, of course. He's going to be a free agent regardless, so it's not like a situation where you can automatically bring him back. Like It's not a situation where you have someone in right field or left field if you want to move Acuna to right field. They have to do something. Even if that was Marcakis, which I don't, I would not love, and we'll come back to that as I mentioned, um, 
that's still a move you have to make. Like they they, do, they only have one catcher. They only have one starting caliber court outfielder right now in Ronald Acuna. So they have to do stuff there, and that's why he's. I think that's part of the reason why Babbles is comfortable talking about those spots because whereas it's obvious. In, yeah, yeah. Whereas on the infield. Even if he was looking for an infield upgrade, I'm not sure he would say that. Just because you have guys who were starters this year who performed pretty well, especially in the, in the case of Camargo, he was very, very good this year. You don't want to say in November that you're looking for the infield and then not sign someone in the infield and have to deal with all the fallout of you saying that and then not doing anything about it. Whereas they have to do something in the corner outfield and a catcher. So like, there's no downside to him saying that, that, that those are spots where they're, where they're looking to upgrade because they have to do something. That's kind of where I am with it now. I, again, I think the infield might be set. He might be telling the truth with that, and, and they might not actually do anything there. But I think if somebody calls about you know, the guys you mentioned, Brian or Arenado, or if Josh Allenson wants to sign in Atlanta for a reasonable price, they're going to think about that at the very least. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, and again, I, I just I, I don't think they're pressured to make those moves. So I don't think they're you're going to see right. any particularly bad trades or anything like you know what I mean. Like it's that I don't, and I think that just Anthopoulos is trying to make sure that he has the leverage where he wants it in those conversations. Being like, look, I don't I don't have to make this deal. I can I can say no thanks, and then we can go into the we can go into the 2019 season, and our our infield will not be a problem. Now, if you're wanting to, you know, you know, get rid of a guy like a Chris Bryant or Arenado, or you know, talking to Josh Donaldson's agent, you know, you, if you're wanting twenty million dollars for on a one-year deal, that's probably not going to work. But if you're wanting to come down, you know, it's not that we don't like you, and yet you couldn't help this club. So it's it's again, it's just it's a it's a question of leverage in the media and things like that, and how comments are taken and things like that. So it's it's an interesting dynamic in terms of how Anthopoulos is using the media because that this this front office does seem to be particular uh, pretty tight-lipped in terms of what they're you know what what's leaking out and what's not uh, we're getting some hints here and there from Bowman's reporting but other than that we just don't really know and I you know and I'm, I'm fine with that because ultimately there's you know there's there's reasons to kind of keep things close to the vest until you kind of make your move yeah and you know, listen this has been a very tight front office, as you mentioned, and you know, you remember that you remember the Dodgers, the big Dodgers trade, how it was not reported by anyone, and it yeah, just Matt, kind the of Matt Kemp trade out. came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, this is, I mean, it's not, it's not all going to be that way because you're dealing with so many parties where the other team can leak stuff, agents can leak stuff, etc. But I think Anthopolis is okay not leaking things. Um, I think that's pretty clear at this point. So um, you kind of have to go with what's been said publicly, but it's not ever going to be gospel. And I think everyone that even covers the team would uh, acknowledge that as well. Um, the one, yeah, I think you mentioned it tangentially as, uh, a few minutes ago, was the, the Real Muto stuff. That was the one um, interesting bit of reporting that there was a report from Craig Mish um, this week that um, reported that, that there was a, quote, strong offer on the table, end quote, from the Braves for Real Muto, which Anthopoulos later told the beat writers um, um, of the Braves that that, that, that offer was not um, in, in existence and that wasn't true. That's one of situation where you kind of don't know what to believe there. Um, Anthopoulos was pretty clear that there wasn't an offer on the table, so I kind of, kind of tend to believe that, to be honest with you, but at least was out there. That was the one guy they've actually been like by a national voice tied to, uh, you know, I don't really have anything to take away because we talked about Real Muto just a lot, but that was the one thing that was actually sort of out there, even if Anthopolis did dispute it. I think what happened there, I mean, Chris, Craig Mish has been pretty connected with what's been going on with the Marlins, a lot of their moves that have, you know, happened previously with the Ozuna trade and all those other ones, like he was kind of right in on those on those moves as they were kind of happening. I think what happens is that there's a there was a, the what we had heard is that there was a clear discussion at the trade deadline about whether it was Mike Soroka and Austin Riley or you know some combination of a, a big starting pitching prospect and Austin Riley or you know some like basically two top 100 guys one position player 
one 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 pitcher uh, as kind of the starting point for those those conversations. And I think that the it's very possible the Braves and the Marlins kind of touch base like hey is this a starting point for a conversation down the road i'm sure they've talked like I'm yeah confident like, about that. <laughs> yeah and I, and I think that they've kind of they hark back to that offer and i mean and that is a good that's a that's a that's a good offer for the marlins you know two top 100 guys it'd be better than most of the returns they've gotten for their <laughs> for their other players that they've gotten that they've gotten rid of yelich and ozuna and all those guys so you know it's there's there's real conversations to be had and i'm sure that they kind of heart kind of continued the conversations that were from the tread deadline. I don't think that necessarily means like the Braves came to the table and were like, we want to make this offer. These players for real Muto say, you know, yes or no. You know what I mean? It wasn't anything like that. I think it was just kind of a continuation of those conversations. And it caused a little bit of confusion as to kind of, you know, was there a new offer and all this other stuff and what players are involved and all that. I think it's more of a continuation of, is this the, this general framework going to be something that you're going to be interested in having further conversations about? That's just my general impression. That makes sense. I mean, I'm, we don't know. We're not in the room, but I, I do think that that timeline would make some sense. And there's no reason why they wouldn't have talked. You know, having a firm offer on the table can be semantics. I think that's something that Anthopolis can say with a straight face and probably mean it because of the fact that he maybe he doesn't think that there's an actually an offer on the table where I'm, as I'm sure they've actually talked about Riamuto. Um, just because it's an obvious fit um, by both sides. They were just at the GM meetings. It, it would kind of go beyond reason for me that they, that they hadn't talked at all if that makes sense. But an offer is different. A firm offer is different than actually just having discussions. So both sides can be right to some degree there. It's just kind of a rough um, semantics discussion. And we'll t- we talked plenty about that. I mean, I think we both think he'd be very, very good in Atlanta, but at the same time, you don't want to overpay. My guard is up for a catcher always, and I keep saying that, and I will keep saying that even if they make that deal. He's very, very good, and he's the guy you would want to trade for if you're going to trade for someone because he's very good and pretty young. But I just am a little bit wary about catchers. But if you're going to do it, he's probably the one to do. So I'm, I know I'm, I know I'm sort of sitting on the fence there. But I just um, there's a point where I wouldn't do it, but there's a point where I would. And I think my point is lower than some just because of the catcher stuff. But if he still if he if performs in the way that he's capable of over the next couple of years, then it's obviously a value that you want. Yeah, if he if he, with two more years on his deal, I mean he is young. So I mean if you're if they're asking for four top 100 guys. Like you have to draw, that. yeah, you, you draw the line, but you know, if it's, you know, two top 100 guys and maybe like a third smaller piece or something like that, you have the conversation because he is one of the best catchers in the league and he has not had any injury issues. He, and you know, he's, he has a, like a strong arm. He'll be able to, you know, kind of control the run game a bit. Uh, the, the framing stuff isn't quite as good, but maybe that the field Braves can feel like they could improve that. And at, at the plate, I mean, there's not a better offensive catcher in the league right now. I mean, there's a couple guys in that same conversation, but I mean, he's, he is a very, very good player. Um, and he, if you're again, if you're gonna make a, a a good offer for a catcher, he's the guy to do it. But you have to draw a line somewhere because it's only two years of control. Catchers have like you know, there's injury issues sometimes that they you know the, the the bat drops off and things like that, and they don't necessarily last as long. So um, you draw the line somewhere. But I mean, in terms of like making a strong offer, a strong offer, I'm all for it. Just don't go crazy. Yeah, that makes sense, and uh, we'll come back to that if there are more rumblings in the future. Um, all right, well, two. Two bits of uh, award news that happened over the last week. I think when we recorded a week ago, we did not know the Gold Glove winners, and they came out um, two two non-surprises and one surprise. It was Freddie Freeman, Ennio Enciarte, and Nick Marcakis winning Gold Gloves. Uh, Freeman and Enciarte, um, 
not surprises. You know, Freeman led the league in both UZR and DRS this year at first base. It was not a surprise. I wouldn't have been blown away if he didn't win, but at the same time, he's he's definitely deserving. Um, Enciarte, I actually thought that Kane was going to win and probably should have won, but Enciarte is obviously tremendous, um, and he was basically the second best guy, pretty clearly according to the metrics, and he has the history, so uh, no 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 issue there really. And w- with his win, um, what do you what, do, what do, first of all before we get to Marquecas, what do you think about Freeman and Enciarte winning? Uh, either of those surprise you at all? I, I thought I was with you. I thought Kane was going to win, and and it was because Kane had been so good defensively, in terms, especially in terms of like defensive runs saved and all that stuff. Um, all three of those guys kind of passed the eye test. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, they have like highlight reel plays. They have they they do a lot of things well defensively out in center field. So again, it wasn't like crazy to me that Ender that Ender was that that Ender won. I thought it was a reasonably close race. I just thought that Kane was slightly better, but I also think that Ender like made a lot of <laughs> a lot of things. Both in big, in big moments and also he, he he graded really well in all the in all the metrics this year. So it's kind of it's hard to argue with that one. Freeman, I, I thought he was the best defensive first baseman this year, um, and he looked but he looked better over there. And it kind of he started showing out on the defensive metrics more this year. And more importantly, the, some of the guys that would normally kind of be his competition, uh, whether it be Goldschmidt or Votto, had down defensive years. Uh, I thought he was the most deserving candidate, and I was glad he won. Um, we can talk about Nick Markakis, but it's it's this. I don't want to like dwell on that that whole situation too much because it kind of speaks to my infuriation with like the position awards in general. Yeah, we're we're gonna do those kind of together because Markakis also won Silver Slugger, so we'll group those together. Uh, one final note on center field. Um, Kane, we both talked about him a second ago, but he, he he actually was leading all center fielders in both UZR and DRS, which is why I thought he was going to win. But again, Ender is an elite defensive player, and uh, no issue at all with him winning. His glove is not in question. He's tremendous in the outfield. Um, as for Mark Akis, um we both said a lot on this, I'm sure, and various platforms. Um, Gold Glove was a surprise win. I do think um, I actually understand the argument for Marquecas for the Gold Glove. Silver Slugger, not so much, and we'll come back to that. But I understand the Marquecas argument because of the fact that there wasn't an obvious candidate. Um, I do think that both the other finalists, Hayward, uh, Jason Hayward and John Jay, are far better defenders than Marquecas. But Hayward played about 500 less innings than Marquecas. I thought that Brian Anderson should have been nominated and wasn't. And I thought he probably should have won it and wasn't even nominated from the Marlins. Um, so I do understand why Marquecas won the Gold Glove to some extent because he just, he played every day. He played so many more innings than the guys who were nominated with him. Not sorry, nominated with him were not playing every single day in right field. So I understand that argument. With that said. He was about dead, dead even in terms of basically league average and uh, outs above average. He was a slight positive in DRS and UZR, which is an upgrade on what he's been. So you know, credit to Marquecas, who was better defensively this year than he has been the last few years. But he was fifth among right fielders in the National League in DRS, fifth in UZR. Uh, that's not really the profile for someone who wins a Gold Glove most of the time. But um, you know, this is not the one that I had an issue with, to be honest with you. I mean, it wasn't the right result in my opinion, but it wasn't absolutely egregious I guess is probably the way I'd put it like you could find you can sort of craft a argument um, an argument for Marquecas for gold glove silver slugger I don't think you can but uh, what, what did you make of the defense one before we get to the offense one so uh, this is, speaks to my general problem with like the position awards as it stands in the today's game in general what happens right now is if you're really good defensively what often happens is they try to get they move you move you around position wise to like whether it be play matchups or it basically if you're a, a top tier player in a lot of cases not all cases but in a lot of cases you're not in a set position and you rotate through the outfield 
You can take a look at what Christian Yelich was in with with Milwaukee this year. He played he played innings in right. He played innings in left. They just they wanted his bat in the, the lineup, and he played really well defensively. And you can play him anywhere, and you can feel good about it. And then you have other situations where like you know utility guys that have been played, whether it be Javier Baez. You know, again, Yelich. There's other guys who have played in multiple positions around the diamond, and sometimes these position awards acknowledge that. And it, like in the case of JD Martinez, he won two Silver Sluggers awards despite the fact that he was a DH. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But he played enough games in the outfield that for whatever reason they gave him both the Silver Slugger for the DH as well as the outfield, which drives me crazy because if you either you reward someone who sticks with a specific specific position like Nick Barkakis. That makes some I'm with you. It makes sense to me. I, I thought he had a good defensive year. I don't think he was like particularly awesome, but I didn't think anyone in right field was particularly awesome. He was he was oh, fine. I mean, it yeah, wasn't like yeah. you know, he's not spectacular at all. Like I I think his I think if you think gold glove in your head, this is not the guy you see um defensively, but he also was better this year and there wasn't an obvious candidate. Exactly. There there was not one I'm I'm fine with it, especially when you have guys that are you know again that rotate back and forth. If if Christian Yelich was in right field for a, as many innings as Nick Marquez, that award is not even remotely close. Correct. You know what same, I mean? Same, same also, with Hayward, by the way. If Hayward plays every single day in right field, he is leaps and bounds better defensively than Marquez. It's just that's just the way it is. Exactly. But the way the so what should these awards be? Should it be re rewarding the best defenders overall, whether that be outfielders, infielders, just like these are the top five defenders. Period. Or do we do it on a position-by-position position basis? I don't actually have a great answer to that question. Uh, and the same thing goes for Silver Slugger because, again, in the, in the case of Silver Slugger, there was like Bryce Harper and Brendan Nimmo were legitimately better hitters in almost every way other than if you look strictly at just batting average. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, Silver Slugger is also outfield, outfield, outfield. It's not, le- it's not left, center, and right. So that actually opens things up. The argument against doing that for Gold Glove is that if you do that, it's going to be center fielders that win pretty much every time. Um, So that's the argument against doing that for that. But Silver Slugger, as we transition to that a little bit, it was not left, center, right, where you're going against a smaller group of people. You're you're playing against all every outfielder in the National League, which makes this even crazier. Like I I am firmly on record that Marquez winning the Silver Slugger is much much worse than the Gold Glove. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's not a number that you can look at where he is a top three hitter in the National League in the outfield. Like that one's absolutely insane to me. Um, I won't even hold back on that. But it's worth pointing out, as you mentioned, that you know there is some wiggle room with Gold Glove and like the position stuff. You can argue against it because the guys are playing different spots. Silver Slugger that there isn't that cover because. It's it's just three it's it's just the three best outfield hitters. That's the way that they do it. It's not left it's not left center and right. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because you can you could pick Bryce Harper and you could pick Brennan Nimmo. Um, I mean, there's there's other guys. I mean, like we have the, the top two. The guys who are going to finish top two in the Rookie of the Year race this year would be better choices on a right on a rate basis. Then, then Nick Markakis. They were oh, worth. By, they were by far. <laughs> they, they, they were worth more. They were more valuable at the plate in those plate appearances. Their the significantly less plate appearances than Nick Markakis was all year, and that's frustrating when, when you you're trying to understand what they're tr- what they're trying to get at, what the purpose of these awards are, what are you rewarding, and and what are voters and those who are deciding these things looking at? Are you looking at a guy who played 162 games and you the overall contribution are you looking at a guy who you just thought was the best hitter and he happened to play these two different positions and it seems to be all over the place and it's frustrating because you want to reward ultimately what the purpose of these awards are is to reward the best players 
Like end of conversation. Right. Not like not like with a bunch of weird caveats that you have to like. Well, the reason why he won the Gold Glove this year is because he won 162. He played a he played at shortstop 162 games. Um, like with Gold Glove, it's supposed to be the best defensive player. But what we saw when Andrelton lost it when he was here is it had nothing to do with his defensive metrics because he was the best defensive player in the league la- that year. Not just sure. shortstop, like the entire defense. <laughs> but but because he didn't hit as many home runs as Brendan Crawford, gold, Brendan Crawford won the home, won the Gold Glove, and it's. It's hard for me. It's hard to parse, and it's hard. To, it's hard for me to make make anything and to feel any attachment to these awards. And that's how I felt about it. Is when they when these awards got announced, I just didn't care. And that's not a place you want to put your fan base in. Is when like you know these awards get announced, like oh well, they that, that that's silly. That, that screwed that up. I'm happy that that you know in the case of you know Mark Higgins, he was like he was recognized by his peers and things like that. And that has value, especially for that player. But I what what the purpose of these awards are is to try to recognize the most talented and the best players in the league. And they consistently have failed to do so. They get the obvious ones right, but then they the, the ones that are like a little bit closer, you know, they get those wrong. They get they get those in ways I would feel wrong, and then they get you know some things they just miss completely, miss the boat on completely, and it's hard to understand. Yeah, I mean the Gold Gloves. I think if you talk to people, I know you and I do this often. People that cover the sport daily, um, the Gold Gloves are kind of a joke and have been for a while. Like everyone wants to talk about how Fielding Double Awards are are the ones. Yeah, Palmero. I mean, there's all kinds of. Um, instances where guys have like comically won Gold Glove awards in the last decade plus, so it's like that. I understand is the famous award for fielding, but that's kind of in the in the people that cover this um, daily. Gold gloves are kind of known as something that people kind of ignore now because it's just bad for the most part. Silver Slugger is kind of the only one like it, um, at least that's a, of a high profile nature, which is why it's even weirder. By the way, I mean you mentioned. A couple of candidates who clearly had better seasons at the plate than Marquecas, um, Harper, Brandon Nimmo, Acuna, Juan Soto, just to name four. There's, there was even more than that. Here are the rankings for Marquecas in terms of uh, a couple of different stats. And I'll use some advanced ones and some not advanced ones for people that don't like advanced stats. He was 17th in WRC Plus in my outfielders in the National League. 17th. WRC Plus is supposed to me- is supposed to measure overall offensive impact. He was 17th. This is a award that was given to three people. 17th. He was sixth in on base percentage. He was sixth in batting average. 16th in slugging percentage of unqualified hitters, and 36th in home runs um, in the outfield. Um, Obviously, we talked a lot about how he was basically very ordinary after the first five weeks of the season. It all counts, but it wasn't like it was a consistency award for him um, because it wasn't like he went out and posted a 115 WRC plus in every single month all year long. He was good for five weeks. He had one more nice run in the middle, but it was, aside from that, not not particularly great. So all those things, I mean, I, I understand the arguments uh, against Acuna and Soto because they're, they're small sample size. If you want to at least put that out, argument out there, I don't. I don't buy it, but I, I understand it. Um, Harper and Nimmo, it wasn't particularly close, honestly. It's basically um, Harper, the argument against him would be that he disappointed, but his his disappointment is still far more valuable than um, Marquecas at the plate. You know, he had like a, almost 400 OBP and a much higher slugging, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to get like too deep into the weeds, but there just wasn't an argument for Marquecas to win Silver Slugger. I mean, I, I wish it was different. I wish he had kept that pace from the first five weeks and we were having this discussion in a real way. Like if it had been close, we wouldn't be harping on it, but it, it really wasn't close. Um, and you know, credit to him who obviously we said this before, this is definitely the best year of his four years in Atlanta and he should get all kinds of credit for the way that he, he performed this year. He was a solid player. Um, where as before the season, we were skeptical that he would even keep his job. That was never in doubt throughout the season. So shouts to him. He put, he performed very, very well, but there was no justification for this award. If we're honest. 
and you don't necessarily have to cover yourself by a small sample size with Acuna and Soto when you also give J.D. Martinez two Silver Slugger, Slugger Awards. <laughs> and by the way, he wasn't the only, like, there were a couple of other egregious ones. That was the one that was weird. That, that's, the one that, that's the one that really sticks out to me, unfortunately. Yeah, but. I mean, Salvador Perez winning for the American League catchers was comical. Like, he had a, he had a, he had a below 100 um, WRC+. Plus. There were a few different ones. It wasn't just Marquecas, but he was the one that got the most national pub. Even outside of, I think people think that it was just us or people like us picking this apart. National writers were jumping on this immediately I, I, I remember Dan Zaborski was kind of like what is happening here <laughs> like yeah. there were people that covered the league that are not just Braves people that were making note of the fact that this is kind of a interesting interesting is the nice way to put it choice um but you know credit to him but again I, I mean I don't want to take anything away from Marquecas all things all that all that said he shouldn't have won it but you know he was he was better than we ever thought he was going to be this year and I guess I'll say that once once again just to give, give myself some cover just because I know we're going to hear about this from people that like him I understand that um, he didn't deserve this award. I, I agree, and I think the bigger the bigger takeaway for me wasn't that like you know like I'm like outraged that Nick Marquez won an award because that's not the point. It just makes me feel like I don't understand what I'm even what information I'm getting from someone winning this award, and it makes me not care about it. We and would do the, the same thing, by the way, if like if Freeman had won. Um, I mean, it, his his was closer. To be honest with you, him and Goldschmidt were closer. But if pick a guy that we like a lot and that people don't think that we're too too low on, like if it was. Ozzy or Freddie or whoever, and they won an award they didn't deserve. We would talk about it. Yep. Like we we talked about Ender. We talked about Freeman. Like you know, we we would we would talk about it. It's not it has nothing to do with Marquecas. It's just that's the particular example of what happened. But if if they had given the goal, if they had given a silver slugger to Freeman in a year that he didn't deserve it, we would say he didn't deserve it. So it's not yep. about and Marquecas. Go- it's just the system is kind of weird, and this was a, this was a bad result. Yeah, and again, it just makes me dislike the awards because again if freddie freeman had beat now go pull goldschmidt this year i mean that 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 i agree with you that race was closer but but goldschmidt it would have been the wrong choice yeah Yeah, he he was the goldschmidt was the better hitter uh freeman was by i i feel strongly that freeman was by far the better defensive player and if it was an overall award that's a different conversation but again what we're trying to measure and what we're trying to say with these awards and what they mean that matters and if you're you're not going to get it close then i'm not sure why i care you know what i mean i'll just keep looking at the numbers that i choose to look at and make the best assumptions that i know how to rather than saying well this guy's won three silver sluggers because i look at the results not just in marquecas but you know again salvador perez uh you know the the jd martinez stuff and all that stuff it's not that jd martinez is a bad hitter i just don't think he necessarily should win two silver sluggers because he it 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 doesn't make sense to me is how other things were how other things were done um and it's just it's a frustrating it's a frustrating kind of thing to for me because people you know want to, uh, to tweet at us and make us care about the result when ultimately all it tells us is that the way in which these awards are handed out especially in the way in which ta's game is is kind of handled and all that doesn't square up with what everything tells us and that that's that's the more frustrating for me is because i just wish that the awards there's a better way for it to do it i don't have a lot of great answers there um but in terms of like how they should do it and all that other stuff because ultimately this is a lot of this is kind of the like the result of, of voters doing things and what what guidelines they're given and what those voters care about that's that both matters because you know you want to be recognized by your peers but also at the same time you know i i wish <laughs> i wish they would get a little bit closer to being correct yeah, last thing on this, Freeman. We mentioned this a second ago, but just just for people, you know, I guess record keeping wise, Freeman was the only other guy who had like even a legitimate claim. Um, he lost to Goldschmidt. I think Acuna was the only other player. Like Acuna probably should have won over Marquecas if they were to pick a brave. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, but uh, nobody else really had a cl- really really had a case among among Braves. I know Camargo was very good, but he was not close to Arenado. I believe did Arenado win? I believe you. I believe he did. Um, somebody whoever won third base, it was not particularly close. So the only other guy who like could have won it was Freeman and. 
and he wasn't going to win it over Goldschmidt, at least um, justifiably. So uh, let's move on from there. A couple more uh, notes to hit on before we get out of here um, on a probably was going to be at least a partly shortened episode. Uh, Luis Gahara is apparently down 35 pounds and already working out in Orlando when some positive momentum there from a story that we that was out there this week. Uh, I'm not sure what to take from this other than it's good. It's a good thing that he's in shape because that was something that we all worried about was that, you know, his body type kind of is what it is, but he was bigger than he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, and he had he had a terrible offseason, and it's not it's not simply just he didn't work hard enough. I mean, he had a lot of family issues going on yeah. in this past offseason, and it's kind of hard to keep your mind on you know staying in shape athletically when you're just trying to make sure that your family life you know is is what you are wanting it to be, and you know having to take care of people and all that other stuff. And he really struggled with that all year. You know, he got injured in spring training, which that that messed up his conditioning too. He didn't really get to get back into shape, and then when he did come back, he had a lot of issues in terms of like you know getting his mechanics right and being super rusty when he was in Gwinnett. And then, you know, towards the end of the year, he was dealing with kind of some shoulder soreness and things like that. And you kind of, at the end of the season, you kind of wonder, like, what is going to happen with Gohara? I mean, can he regain what we thought he could be? Or is, you know, is this kind of one of those sad cases where, you know, things that weren't necessarily in his control kind of resulted in his career being derailed? But it looks like he's staying stateside to stay in shape, get healthy again. Uh, Losing 35 pounds in that amount of time is no joke. He's still a very big guy. Um, so I'm sure that's going to be something that they're going to continuing to kind of work on and kind of getting him healthy and, and keeping him motivated. But the guy has really good stuff and it, it's a really unfortunate situation with his family, you know, having deaths in the family and illnesses in the family in a family that's so far away that in Brazil, you, you know, you, it's, I, I feel for the guy and I think it speaks to him, him willing to stay stateside, get in shape and try to get right. Um, you know, Losing 35 pounds isn't the it wasn't the the answer to the, his issues. There's a lot of things that he has to work out, but that he's putting in that time and wanting to get better and to get help, get really healthy that that really does matter. And I'm hopeful that he can come back because when he comes back, you know, at the very least, he's a guy in the bullpen that you know can like blow guys away and has a really good slider that can like do some damage. And he's still a starting pitching prospect too. So yeah. you know if he's if he's getting healthy. And, you know, he could be right in the thick of things in spring training, especially if he's working extra hard and he looks really good in spring training. I mean, his is the kind of stuff that will, like, stand out to a brave staff. They'll be like, well, we need to have this guy pitching for us. Yeah, uh, I a, hope. Go ahead. He, he has a great arm. I mean, that's something I know you're saying that. I mean, he was bad this year, but he has a really, really good arm. There's no question about it. And, by the way, he's only 22. Like, he, was, he exactly. turns 23 in July. Like, this is a guy who is still obscenely young. Like, he came up very, very, very early. But – one one very weird year, and as you mentioned, the off off field stuff. Like one bad weird year does not mean that he's just now done. I think Gohara like faded completely off of a lot, a lot of people's radars. That would not be wise. Like it may not work, but the talent is still there. And if he suddenly bounces back to where he was in like 2016, 17, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily just full on project it because we we just don't know what's happening there to the full extent. But you know, one bad year isn't gonna like. T- tell me that he is now just not a thing anymore because he's still so young if he, if he was 25 I would be a little bit more worried but he's not even 23 yet and he won't be for a while he'll pitch most of the season at 22 that's a very very intriguing piece even though he's kind of faded away yeah and again you can you you let a guy you, you give a guy a pass on a lot I mean it wasn't simply as just you know he was homesick or you know he had some maturity issues this was like this was real family stuff and he, and family that's far away that was in a in a family situation that was like a particularly serious and this kind of like things kept happening over and over again, and 
you give a guy a pass for that because I think we've all been in situations where you know we have real real life situations where like you you can't imagine doing your job where you're just like you know sitting in a cubicle or you know doing a job where like no one's watching you and this is a guy that's like you know like thousands of people want to know what's going on with you at all times like doing all that dealing with all that under a microscope like that like that's going to have its effects and I'm 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 willing to I'm I'm certainly keeping an eye on him because again I've seen the arm talent it's real um you want to see him committed to you know getting healthy and being right and it looks like he is that right now so he's kind of one of the guys that has me more excited i'm more excited to see going into 2019 yeah i'm uh, i still buy the talent so we'll see what happens there um one i guess two more things to hit on um, the braves hired mike fast uh, who was a foremost a former um astros i believe it was the i believe his director of research and development for the astros for the last five six seasons yep. he'll be the special assistant to the gm that's an interesting title for him but someone who's uh, at one point was like kind of a big name in uh, front office circles also was a writer previously at baseball prospectus before he got into front offices um this is someone I, I don't know that much about other than just knowing the name even when they hired him i was like oh mike fast is kind of a big deal and definitely an analytically inclined individual i'm not sure what your reaction was but just blindly I don't know the man, but I was uh, intrigued and um, I would say positively so with that hire. In terms of like directing analytical, like analytical efforts for an organization, Mike Fast is one of the guys that you absolutely want, and that he, the Braves actually got him. I'm like genuinely surprised by and happy about what the the title of special assistant is a little bit interesting because. I don't know if the Braves necessarily have like a director of research and development type. Uh, they certainly have an analytics department, right? What I think is going to happen is that you know the fast is going to be kind of the guy like these are the this is the kind of information that we need to be gathering and then once we get that i'll be translating that into what our into giving advice on what our personnel decisions should be uh and kind of like relaying that information in a way that makes sense both to like people in the front office whether it be alex Anthopoulos or others or kind of like kind of directing that traffic in terms of Taking the information that this is the information we need. I know this is the information that we need. And this is kind of the approaches we need to get. Once I, once we get that information, that that information can then be relayed into these are the reasons why we need to get this player, that player, or maybe this player needs to get less playing time. It's kind of like that that translation role, that kind of advisor. You know, based on what this is telling us, this is what we should be doing, uh, rather than simply just directing analytical efforts and then kind of generating reports and hoping they get read. Um, I think it's kind of more having the ear, having having the ear of a general manager and his work with the Astros legitimately was great. Uh, the, the Astros have lost two guys in their analytical departments that are really, really good. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what the effects of that are down the road because I mean, they, they, these get Mike, Mike fast in particular is a very highly respected analyst and it kind of makes the Braves analytical department kind of puts them into that more top third to even better tier in, in, in all of baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I won't claim to know every inner working of the front office, but uh, just encouraged to have someone like that with that kind of pedigree, with that kind of uh, reputation in the front office is, is a good thing, like sort of unequivocally. He's not like making all the decisions, but he'll be there and he'll be a voice and a very informed one for Anthopolis, which uh, I enjoy. More short people is a good thing. Um, last bit of news, Dansby Swanson had, had a minor wrist surgery this week, which is a little bit interesting. I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, it was to remove a loose body in his wrist. He'll be apparently ready per Mark Bowman for spring training. Um, Dansby, without getting too deep into it, obviously was a little bit better in 20, 2018 than he was in 2017, but still not a great hitter on, on the uh, on the whole. Has some nice moments. Uh, his defense was awesome this year, but um, offensively, he's got still he still has a ways to go to be kind of where the Braves hoping he would be. Um, but does this worry you at all about 2019? I know it's just it's kind of tough to do without being a uh, a doctor or someone with, with all the, with all the information, but. You don't love this. You don't love to hear wrist stuff, just because the wrists are very important to hitting. Well, yeah, I mean, we've had 
I mean, Swanson's had issues, I think, with wrists twice now. Once was in spring training, uh, hit not not this past year, but the year before, and then once this past year when he like hurt it on the swing. And it, it almost gives me more optimism for 2019 because part of me has to wonder. I'm like, I I know the guy is talented, and, and there's enough people who thought he was talented. Like, why would he be this? You know, have these many issues at the plate. Um, so you hope that maybe like this procedure will kind of like keep his wrist from like if there's a loose body that's kind of causing things to get irritated, make his wrist sl- wrist sore. Maybe you know his his swing will be improved and he won't be as won't have as many stretches where he's uncomfortable. Um, the, the issues that Dansby has are ultimately a lot of them are approach oriented and kind of how he deals with pitches on the outside of the plate and what he's supposed to be doing and all that stuff. And maybe you know getting his wrist completely healthy will help him. I I am I am hopeful that that is a net positive. Um, but when anyone, when everyone gets cut into and something happens, there's always a risk that the result is that they are not as good as you would hope they would be after the fact. Because I mean, surgical procedures, I mean, regardless of how minor, minor, I mean that, that that's you're doing something to your body that, that was not done beforehand. So you know, you have to deal with scar tissue, you have to deal with a rehab, uh, and you have to deal with kind of your body kind of adjusting to you know what was was done to it. So again, I'm not I'm not saying anything about that. I think you'll be ready for spring training, but ultimately, what he looks like when he comes back. I am hopeful and cautiously optimistic this is a net positive. How much of a net positive that is is a completely different question. It's it's certainly possible that uh, he just he he needed this to be he needed this to happen just to, for him to be a hundred percent and it, maybe he wasn't at times this year. Um, but what you said is important about how procedures are just are rarely good. I mean, there's just always risk to some degree, even the minor stuff. So I mean, we'll obviously be monitoring him now in February and March in a little bit different way than we would have been before. Um, you know, it's worth noting that he was still a two-win player this year, even with this with his stuff at the plate, because he was so good defensively at a premium position. But I do think that you know the Braves understand that for them to get where they want to go, they need more than 80 WRC plus from 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 Nancy Swanson. Um, I think he's got more talent than that. We kind of all think that. Um, I'm not sure where the ceiling is. It's definitely lower than we thought it was going to be. I would imagine, but um, we'll see. We'll see uh, with Swanson. I think if he's just, if man, if he was a league average bat, he'd be a f- what four win player. That's a, that's Probably, how good his yeah. defense is. Like, just be just be league average, Dan. Dan's at the plate. That's all we need. That's all. That's all the Braves want or probably need from Swanson. is <laughs> yeah, league yeah, average yeah. bat. Just just hit 260. <laughs> you know, occasional occasional home runs and things like that, and you know, draw some walks, do some things on the bases. We're fine. Yeah, that glove that glove uh, can cure a lot of ills at shortstop, um, to be sure, especially when you factor in speed and all that different stuff. He does a lot of things well, and hopefully hitting will be added to that list in 2019. Um, and that's kind of it in terms of news. I mean, we could probably go a little bit deeper, but we both have to run fairly soon here. Um, oh, I guess Ronald Acuna is playing baseball right now. It doesn't, doesn't count, but I'm sure you're monitoring him considering your love affair with Ronald Acuna. Well, yeah, you know, if there's a prospect playing somewhere. I mean, Arizona Fall is going on, too. Uh uh, Ronald Cunningham is playing over in Japan with the, you know, kind of the that exhibition that MLB does. Uh, not every year, but they do quite a bit. Uh, he's playing well. Um, it, it seems like he's having a lot of fun over there too. They're doing a lot of not just exhibition games, but they're also like doing a lot of things with like you know like baseball developmental leagues and you know kids and stuff over there. It's just kind of good to see him, but kind of embracing kind of that baseball ambassadorship role. You know what I mean? He's a really fun guy to watch. Externally, just how good he is. Like he's always smiling, always having fun out there. He's a really engaging personality. Um, so in terms of like the results, I, I couldn't care less about that. Just because I mean they're playing against the competition that they'll never see again, and it's significantly worse than what they've seen for you know 162 games this year. But it's um it's it's good to kind of see him both performing well because again you want to see you want to see him you know he's he's getting hits he's you know he's you know causing havoc on the base paths but more importantly like he's having fun and he's kind of being a face of the game that is going to be ultimately good. 
uh, is it going to be good for his marketability long term as well? Because both not just in the United States, but I mean, you know, Japan has a really big baseball culture, and if you can kind of get a fan base going over there, that's that's all it's going to do is help you. And he seems to be enjoying himself and reveling in it. He's good at baseball. Um, breaking news: yes. Ronald Acuna is good at baseball, entertaining to watch. And uh, yeah, if you can find a stream, I'm not sure where it is, but if you can find a stream. There's some baseball happening, um, fall league and Japan and. I'm not watching a lot of baseball right now. I'm not watching any baseball right now, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But uh, this is where uh, Eric can Eric can save you by t- talking about baseball and fall league <laughs> stuff. I know we're covering that uh, weekly at Talking yep. Chop, I believe. Yep, that, yep, that went up today. Yeah. There you go. So please go, please go read that uh, if you have not read that already on on this fine Sunday. Um, there's stuff happening there as well. Um, but you know, I mean, Eric, plug plug yourself, my friend. There's a lot going on, including your your national stuff. Where I know you're very busy with free agency, even if the Braves aren't. Yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of wild. Uh, you can find you can find my work on Talking Chop. We had the Arizona Fall League recap go up today. Uh, Christian Pache is doing reasonably well. The pitchers are doing reasonably well. The, if your name isn't Jeremy Walker, and the hitters, I mean, honestly, everyone's doing pretty well. No one's no one's lighting up the Arizona Fall League like we've seen in some years. Uh, but everyone's doing reasonably well over there. It's a long season, so you don't really want to draw too many conclusions from all that. But you can find all that information there. Uh, my work over on MLB Daily Dish is increasingly busy because basically, if there's a trade rumor or a move or anything like that, we have to we cover it. Um, so you can follow our work over there. We're going to be doing free agency and offseason previews for all the teams. We're going to, you know, if there's as moves come out, we're going to be kind of doing some, you know, a little bit of retrospective type stuff as well. So you can find a, there's going to be a lot of things going on, and more importantly, you know, between the rookie year announcement, which we Ronald Acuna is probably favored to win, is favored to win at this point, and Mike and the manager of the year awards this week, uh, Brian Snicker is certainly one of the favorites to win that. Um, Craig Council has is going to have an interesting argument with his work with the Brewers, uh, I think as well, but. Those are kind of the newsworthy things that we're sure of, but we're and we also feel pretty strongly in the next couple of weeks there's, we're going to see moves out of the Braves and they're going to kind of choose so, something the will happen almost yeah. certainly. Yeah, it, they're, they're, uh, one of the big one of the big moves I feel pretty confident will happen before the the month of November ends because I don't think they're going to wait until the winter meetings. Uh, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on. And as we move out away from the kind of winter meetings, you know that trade rumor stuff uh, in the month of December. We still have to kind of suss out when it's going to be prospectless time again, and we're going to be kind of sorting that out, and we'll announce when we're going to roll that out and all that stuff. So, you know, between the two sites, I stay very busy, um, as well as you know having a family and you know getting enlisted by Brad to come on podcast. So, <laughs> sorry, Eric. Uh, no, I, I love hearing from Brad. I always like talking about baseball with him. It's, <laughs> he's, he's like one of my buddies in baseball. I'm like I'm always in. I always try to find a way to make it work. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of work that's going to be going on this off season, probably more than we've had in any off season since I've been here. Um, so yeah, you just, you know, make sure you're reading the sites and, you know, keep tweeting at us. Uh, you know, Brad loves your tra- trade proposals regardless of the sport. So make sure you keep sending those to him too. <laughs> yes, please send all trade proposals through me. Of course, I am responsible for the front office. Uh, I think I, I know Eric gets these too. Like people don't think that we make decisions are always fun. Um, but alas, here we are. Um, <laughs> Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or where you'd like to listen to pods. If we're not there, please tell me and I'll try to get us there. Um, but that's uh, very important. So please please leave good feedback. If you, if you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends as well. That's can be very important. And as Eric mentioned, read Talking Chop, read MLB Daily Dish, read all those places. Follow us on Twitter. Follow Eric and follow me if you want to hear about basketball most of the time. But there is some <laughs> baseball every once in a while in there right now. And uh, if nothing else, we'll be back, in next, back again next week. I'm planning to take the week of Thanksgiving off. Uh, but that means that the Braves will make a trade, I'm sure, on like the Friday before the, uh, Friday after Thanksgiving. So I say that now, and if something happens, I'll still be here. But this week, we will have a podcast on the 18th, so please stay tuned for that. Thank you, Eric, and we'll see everybody else next week.